When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK. Kylie, this is Before the Box Score. Week four edition, Memphis hate week edition, Lou Zoo putting them together edition. BK, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, coming off of a fantastic win for our Tigers, going up against the bad version of the Tigers this week. Uh, multiple games this this year against uh, opposing Tigers, which will be interesting to see. Um, but doing well, man. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm 3-0. You're 3-0, too. So, I mean, this is something that we have not been able to experience since you know, Drew Locke was calling the signals underneath the center. So, like, it's it's been a while. Uh, I think this is the first time since you and I have been doing a podcast together that Missouri has not lost in the first three weeks, which, novel, novel. Fun to talk about a winning Missouri football team. Fun to talk about a team that's currently undefeated and still in September. This this it's fun again, and I I, th- I think the energy on the on Rocket Nation energy among the Slack energy when we talk about the team is just different when when you've you still got stuff to play for, uh, so I'm feeling great. This is this is fun. This I like this. This is this is good. Um, so we've got things to talk about. Hinted at the last uh, at the end of the last show that we had an actual like commitment occur, and it happened right after the Kansas State win. So if you missed it, I understand. There's a lot going on. But Missouri beats K-State on the 61-yard field goal. We all remember that. Harrison Bemis is the hero. Not even like an hour later, the Drinkwitz bat signal goes up, 
and a gentleman named Julian Marks. He likes to go by Juju. He's a strong side defensive end. He is the 205th best player in the nation, 2025. 25 recruiting class. I had to create a new tab on my, on my spreadsheet. 205th in the nation, 16th best strong side defensive end, number one prospect in Kansas, if you ask Rivals. Fourth, if you ask 247. But he's out of where? St. Thomas Aquinas, our new pipeline, uh, where all those other Kansas, uh, all of our other Kansans have come from. He is 6'8. He is 275. And he has a 5.84 star. So, K State, we beat your team, and then we took your best. Your best prospect. Congratulations. Um, BK, we all like four stars. We all like edge rushers. I like guys named Juju. What do you think about this guy? Well, first of all, he's a defense tackle. The guy is six foot eight, 275 pounds. That is not a defensive end in any sense of the word. Um, this guy is 17 years old, I would assume, as a junior, and he's 275 pounds. My dude is a defensive tackle. This is like he was Jalen Marshall's teammate and he's like bigger Jalen Marshall basically is is what you're looking at here so it's a great get you know it's it's a good way to start your next class a four star is never a bad way to start any individual recruiting class and I don't blame him for committing to the Tigers after a game like that um when you see that kind of an environment I think a lot of people would say to themselves yeah I want to be a part of that uh what what they just did let I, let, let me be that um so fingers crossed that they're able to hold on to him because I mean, his offer list is a who's who of college football teams. I mean, if you want to name a Power 5 program, chances are he probably has an offer from any of those places not named Georgia or Alabama. So he can pretty much pick where he wants to go, and he chose, hey, I want to go to the University of Missouri. I'm into that. It seems like an emotional choice. I'm not I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. But, yeah, like you said, right after, you're like, I want to be part of that. That's that seems pretty emotion uh, charged. So not only do you have to have a good season this year and keep his interest, then you got to turn around and go a whole nother year uh, until he can sign on the dotted line. So it's something to monitor. It's a good thing when guys get excited to join your team so much so that they're going to lock down uh, their their recruitment a full year before it needs to. I think that's cool. You also got to hold on to him. Like you said, everyone's going to be beating down his door, especially after they see him play as a senior. Um, but yes, it is a good thing. Now, he, one of the interesting things that he mentioned in his interview uh, about why he chose Missouri was that he's like, well, I'm going to be talking to Jaden. I'm going to be talking to Andrew and Desan. I want to I want to get him to Mizzou too. Well, Andrew, Jaden, and Desan just happen to be the number one, number two, and number three other recruits in the state of Kansas all of which are four stars. Andrew uh, Babalola is a four-star offensive tackle out of Blue Valley Northwest. Jaden Woods is a four-star edge rusher out of Mill Valley in Shawnee, Kansas. And then Desan Brahm uh, is a four-star tight end out of Derby, Kansas. So, look, again, we are a ways off. Did not even have the, the spreadsheet open. That's how far we are. But if you're talking about a guy who's so excited of joining his college that he's going to get his other blue-chip buddies to jump in, yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, if you like to sit for three years, uh, come to Mizzou, uh, or maybe you're good enough where you can start like a Luther Burden. We'll take them all. We'll take all your blue blue chippers, Kansas, and we'll and we'll thank you for it. So that's that's also a very good thing. The other thing that I would add is they're just starting to stack now classes in the defensive line room, and that's something that they desperately needed to do, especially among the interior. I mean, you think about it like. 
Marquise Grayshell can't get on the field right now because it is their deepest position on the roster. I mean, Jalen Marshall played real snaps last year for Mizzou. And this year they've tightened up that rotation a bit. And he's not seeing the field at all, at least so far this season. You look at some of the guys that they've added to the mix. I mean, Williams Winery is obviously the headliner of this. But Jalen Brown is an under-the-radar recruit that they are bringing in for next year's class, at least as of right now. He recently got an offer from LSU. That is not a small thing. That signifies that they found a talent that they identified that was under-recruited. And it seems like other teams are starting to realize, oh, this guy is somebody that we should have on our radar as well. If he sticks with Mizzou, that's a good get. Ja'Kai Ling, I was a huge fan of in last year's class. I think he's going to play sooner rather than later. I mentioned Gracial. Uh, DJ Weselak, we haven't really seen yet, but he was a highly touted recruit as well. You're starting to stack these guys one on top of the other on top of the other, and that is the way that you start having classes that, you know, as you move forward here, and this is hopefully a breakthrough season for Mizzou, this is how you start to sustain that kind of success. Now, the next thing, though, is not just bringing those guys in, but getting them onto the field and seeing them have success on the field. That's going to be the next thing that Missouri has to do. And if you're recruiting against Missouri, that's what you point to. Missouri's going to say, look at Luther Burden. You know, look at Brett Norfleet. They're, they're going to point to a couple of them. If you're recruiting against Missouri, you're going to say, look at Marquise Gracio. Right? Look at Chad Bailey. Took him years. Look at, you know, think, think of any four-star that you wish you would have seen, Sam Horn. <laughs> think of all those guys, and that's what other schools are going to point to and say, yeah, you're not going to play. They're just going to recruit over you. So, yeah, at some point you need to see these blue chippers take the field and make an impact. Um, you know, and we don't know what those conversations are. Maybe they're very upfront and say, look, man, like we want you to be part of this. It's going to take you a couple of years to get on because we've got a solid group. You know, there are ways that you can pitch this that it makes it OK uh, for someone to understand your, your, your long term plan. You know who I would pitch, by the way? Mm-hmm. I, I would point to one player specifically if I was Eli Drinkwitz. I would say, look at Johnny Walker. Yeah. That guy was 6'3", 200 pounds as a recruit. Mm-hmm. He was a 5.5 three-star coming out of high school, and he was a guy that was just like an afterthought completely in Missouri's recruiting class back in 2020. I mean, you look at his offers, it's like G5 schools and then some of the regional schools in this specific area. Dude, that guy's a stud. Like He's a really good football player. One of the best players on Missouri's defense this year has been Johnny Walker Jr., and he's getting zero fanfare. But... <laughs> He has been an awesome player for them, and it's at least in part because he waited, he got his opportunity, and now he's taking advantage of it. And if I'm Eli Drinkwitz, fair or otherwise, the way that you sell it, at least, to the guys that are currently in the system is, hey, wait your time. When you are ready to go, we're not going to push you on the field before you're ready because we don't want to see you go out there and put bad film on tape. But what we're going to do is we're going to get you ready. We're going to develop you quietly behind the scenes. And when you're ready, you're going to go out there and you're going to dominate. And you're going to play at the SEC level and you're going to be one of the best players in the SEC as a result of that. So whether you believe it or not, doesn't much matter. That's the selling point that I would be giving right now if I'm Eli Drinkwitz. Because Johnny Walker Jr. has been great. And he's playing like damn near every snap so far this yeah. season. So they need him to be great. Yeah, we don't we don't really see Joe Moore, who is his backup. You'll see him like eight snaps, nine snaps a game. So it that's that's a good that's a good one to to point to and and it's the truth you know it's weird because you know Gary Pinkle used to do the same thing except he would be doing it with two stars and lower three stars who needed that development time now it's hey we have so much talent that we just we need to develop you a little bit further 
however you want to do it, that's that's going to work. But as long as that messaging is clear, he has shown a pretty good ability to hold on to guys that he wants to hold on to. I mean, look at our entire defense who came back uh, for another year. So they've, they've been able to find ways to, to hold on to the ones that they actually want, which is good. Um, you talked about good tape on, on film. That is an interesting point because I have thought about that with Missouri's transfers out, um, especially over the last couple of years. I know that we have talked about this on the show before, but I also know that every show is somebody's first show. So let me just run through this real quick. In the last, so like we're talking about the, the off season that we just went through. Missouri had one transfer that what I would say transferred up to a better school. That would be Dominic Lovett to Georgia. You had seven laterals. So like a player transferring from a program uh, from Missouri to a program like Missouri, like an Iowa State, a Syracuse, Arkansas, stuff like that. You had 16 players transferred down. Some of them are in like a community college or D2 and one's in an NAIA school. And I think the easy thing to say is, oh, well, that just shows that they're not any good. It could also just be they couldn't see the field. So coaches really don't have good film on them. Now, coaches are pretty good at sharing practice film as long as like you rip out the the play name or whatever. But that's only going to tell you so much. So to your point... You know, I think a lot of players want to get on the field in the instance that they need to transfer away and they can say, look at that. But you don't want to put crap out there because then you're also not going to go anywhere. So I think that's that's a good point as well. For sure. And if I asked you, Nate, how many players do you think just to continue this line of thinking? Like once you get on the field, you're going to be on the field a lot. How many players in the SEC among defensive linemen do you think have more snaps so far this season than Johnny Walker Jr.? Defensive lineman more snaps this year in the SEC than Walker. Well, Vandy has played like four games, so maybe one of those, maybe two of those. I'm, I'll say five, five have more. Two. It's the it's two Vandy defensive line ah. among <laughs> players in the SEC that have played only three games, so the na- same number of games as Johnny Walker Jr. is the most snaps so far in the SEC among defensive linemen. 161 of them so far in Missouri's three games. He is playing a ton. Darius Robinson, for context, has played 132 snaps. So Darius Robinson, one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC, has played 30 fewer snaps on the season than Johnny Walker Jr., who, by the way, could barely get on the football field over the last couple of years. So, I mean, he's he's already, this season, um, out-snapped what he did each of the previous two years. Oh, yeah. That, that's... I think that tells you a lot about the way that they operate as a coaching staff, right or wrong. Like, and I've, I've got my qualms with it. I'm not sure I agree with this. I don't think I would operate this way, but it's working right now with Johnny Walker Jr. So at least there's proof of concept, and that's something they were lacking coming into this season. Either by, yeah, the actual concept or just time, because it does take time for this sort of something to come through. I forget who Johnny Walker's uh, roommate is, but I remember reading somewhere that when they first met him, they thought he was a wide receiver because uh, he was so skinny. Um, and yeah, now he's now he's bulked up, but he's an SEC lineman. So, you know, it, these things take time, especially like that. And one thing that we have been kind of critical of Eli Drinkwitz and the staff at times. It was Eli Dr- or it was uh, Ennis Rakestraw, by the way. Ennis Rakestraw, there you go. Is which players are getting better? How are you developing the players that you have? How are you getting them from where they were at high school to a better spot in college? And I feel like, I mean, it's only been three years, so that's part of the problem, too. Uh, they take a ton of transfers, but you needed somebody to say, hey, that's a guy who who showed up one thing and got better over time. Johnny Walker. 
right there. Maybe you could even argue Brady Cook. Um, but at this point, that's that's a good developmental story, which is that's what you need to pitch. And from that class, like you look back on the 2020 class right now, and they do have a few of these guys that are like, I would consider to be success stories. Brady Cook, you mentioned. Chris Abrams' drain was just better mm-hmm. than what anybody suggested. He was a receiver coming out of high school. Uh, Jalen Carlisle, I think, fits into this criteria that we're talking about right now as well. Johnny Walker Jr., Ennis Rakestraw was a big-time get coming out of high school, but he has lived up to every possible expectation so far in college. Um, they, they've got a few. It, it's it's not as many in that class as maybe you would have hoped, but that was also the worst class that they've had so far. So as you look towards that 2021 class, a lot of those guys are already gone, but maybe you could eventually see like a Damian Wilson being a guy that ends up being a little better than what we're currently projecting him to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does give you a little bit of hope about what the future could hold for some of these players. For sure. So congratulations to Mr. Marks. Again, uh, in 18 months from now, I hope you sign on the dotted line. Hope you bring your friends with you. That'd be great. Uh, and it's glad, it's good to kick off the uh, 2025 recruiting class in 2023. I think that's super cool. Um, let's do a little bit on closing out the Kansas State game because that's just a fun game. That was, that was so much fun to win a big game like that. Uh, I put out my my uh, Beyond the Box score on Tuesday, as I always do. It's a lot of fun to put that one together. Obviously, easy to do those in wins as opposed to losses. BK, there wasn't like I'm not going to say anything revolutionary as I was diving into this. It was just it was just a joy to relive the moment and all that stuff. Something did pop out to me though, and I wanted to share it with you here and with our listeners, and then maybe discuss it for a little bit uh, during the broadcast. Uh, Taylor Zarzer, who was the the play by play guy, um, said that their stats department had pulled out an interesting gem. And I don't remember what the total number was at the time, but it was showing that most of Missouri's yards had been coming on first down, like an inordinate amount, a crazy percentage amount. So like, I was thinking that I was like, oh, right. I remember that. What did it end up actually being? Well, I did the math. I charted everything. I, 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 I put it out. It's in beyond the box score. BK, Missouri finished with 429 American football yards at the end of the game. 327 of those yards came on first down. 258 of those were through the air. Now, keep in mind, just by design, an offense is going to have more first downs to operate in than any other down because that that's how football works. You start with first down. I'm right. sorry. You're going to have fewer fourth downs to operate with. You have more first downs. Still, Missouri had 29 first downs, 20 second downs, 13 third downs, and, of course, they ran a play on fourth down that got them a touchdown. So what you are looking at is essentially 76.2%. 76 76.2% of Missouri's yards came on first down on only 46% of their total plays. I would say some of that speaks to aggression and playing off script and throwing on first down rather than running. What are your takeaways from this fun stat? Uh, I would say it's probably this. I have not looked this up yet. And honestly, I don't even know that there's a place that I could go this year to track it. Maybe you would be the best one to, to find it. I'll just give you more homework because you don't have enough to do in your life. Sure. I, I would imagine there's got to be some tendency breakers in there. 
Um, I don't know what Missouri's run percentage was previously on first down, but I would think that it was significantly lower in this game than it had been previously. So I could tell you what it is. Perfect. Um, at least for this year. So against South Dakota on first down, Missouri ran 19 running plays for 115 yards, 10 passing plays for 24 yards. Okay, that's for the entire game. Against middle, Missouri ran 18 run plays for 77 yards and then nine pass plays for 119 yards. So then we get to Magical K-State, and you're going to be blown away here. Missouri ran 14 running plays for 69 yards and 15 running plays for 258 yards. So it's not that – 15 passing plays? 15 passing plays. So they 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 inched it up a little bit more. Well, yeah, it became a 50-50 split, basically. And then the yard is just – exploded yeah so this is the tendency breaker i you probably do not have this if you do you're an, you're a madman um what was the average intended air yards on the passing plays of oh, the geez. first two games i do not have that that's yes, what i, I figured the, the reason why i ask is because i would bet you a lot of those are like screens and slants and just quick hitting let's get four yards here against k-state it was we are going for the jugular we are going to run a play action. This is coming off of previously being a 67% run first down oriented team. And now you're going to think we're running it here. Mm-mm. Nope. It's going to be a play action deep shot to Luther Burden. It's going to be a play action. Oh, here goes a freshman deep down the field. Like that's the kind of stuff that they were willing and able to do in this. And it's why like, hey man, credit to Kirby Moore, credit to Eli Drinkwitz. They did play possum a little bit in the first mm-hmm. two games. And what you can do after what they did in the first two games is you can say, all right, this is what we're showing you. Here's what we're going to do because we showed you that. It's the whole look over here kind of thing where like you, it, it's all the eye candy that you mm-hmm. give to an o- opposing team where they think some. it's basically magic. Yeah. You think something is here, but really it's over here and it's the illusion of what you believe. So they trick your eyes, and Missouri did a really good job of that against Kansas State. That would be my hypothesis, at least. <laughs> I would say they've been playing possum for three years to lead up to this exact moment. And now we're going to finally unveil that actually the entire time, Eli Drinkwitz has been building an unstoppable air raid yeah. offense. And he's just... Yeah, you believe that, don't you? You're slow cooking, man. <laughs> Put that in the crock pot for three weeks. That's what we're doing. Um, no, I don't actually believe that. But it does show that this is what happens when you break tendency. When you set something on repeat over and over and the defense just goes, I know what this is, I know what this is, you condition them to it, and then, pow, you do something different, just like you said. So it is. it was effective. So effective that all their yards came on first down. And what's great is that you don't have to worry about third down if you keep converting on first down, which is what they were doing for most of the time. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to Memphis at some point, but they're really good at converting first downs in the first two and really terrible at converting on third down. Wait on first down. Those are some of the things that you need to do, either for the offense to avoid those situations or on defense to put them behind the ball. So interesting nuggets from K-State. I didn't really have anything else outside of that. I just thought that was cool. And it's something that I'm going to track as we go through the year just to see how they do with their tendencies. Um, But just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it it was just – it was a super fun game in every possible way. And I I did want to add one other thing because um, I saw a little backlash 
on Mizzou rushing the field afterwards. And I wanted to get this oh, out of there. I, we don't even have to spend more than a minute on it. College football in it, at its heart, at its core, is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be about moments. It is supposed to be about games. It is supposed to be about building some sort of bond between a fan base and its team. And games like Saturday is what does that. Games like Saturday is why I'm a college football fan. It's why I hope that someday my kid will be a college football fan. It's going to suck him into this same toxic relationship with Missouri that we have, right? You have moments like that, and then you just have this unbelievable thirst to be able to have that moment one more time. To just get back to that high of watching your team have that moment. And so that is exactly the kind of game where you should be rushing the field. So walk off 61-yard field goal against a regional rival against a top 15 opponent that you beat for the first time in a decade at home. So yes, it was more than worth the $100,000 that they ended up paying for that moment at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. that thing will pay for itself 10 times over with the way that they were able to recruit off of something like that. So I just wanted to bring that up because I, I think I saw a thread on this on Twitter the other day as well. It had more to do with Colorado than it did with Mizzou, but it, mm-hmm. it feels like so much of college football analysis nowadays is just on who's making the college football playoff and everything else is a failure and it doesn't matter. Yep, and I, I, think, ESPN. <laughs> I think that just, it, it, it totally eats at the the soul of what college football is supposed to be a nine and three season can be one of the most memorable seasons that you have as a fan there is nothing wrong with a nine and three season that gave you a ton of memories along the way and that's what this has a chance to be for mizzou so that game was huge it was more than deserving of a uh a field rush and i hope every single one of you that were in attendance ends up remembering that and if you had your kids with with you in attendance they are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. Have you ever rushed the field? Once, yeah. Texas A and M in 2013 when I was a student. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I was I was an old uh, on the alumni side for that game, so I did not rush the field. I was lucky that I was always on the field because I was in the band. Sure. Um, but I rushed the field when Missouri finally beat Nebraska. Uh, oh, nice. Um, I did not see Brad Smith. I did not see anybody who actually made an impact, but I got to. Uh, thank a couple of players who I'm sure were walk-ons and never did anything, but like it was, that was cool. My parents were very upset that I had did that, but it was it was cool. Yeah, it was worth it. No one's got to know, right? No one's got to know. I, the the I, thirteen I, one was cool because they also ended up getting their uh, their rocks afterwards. So like yeah, everybody was on the field as they were carrying the seniors across the field with their yeah. big old rocks, and some of them mm-hmm. can't remember who it was, but one guy in particular got like this little tiny rock, and he had a really cool story about how he had been beaten down over the course of the. I think it was James Franklin. It was James Franklin, actually, who left with the smallest rock that he could find because how much he had been beaten down over the course of his time at Missouri and how he still was able to, like, sustain despite all of that. So I thought that was cool. Fun team. Fun team, fun season. It's about fun, guys. And ESPN is taking that away because it's they're trying to make it about TV. Hold on to the fun. Like you said, that's the soul of the sport. Hold on to it. All right. Let's keep going because we got other things to talk about. And really, BK hinted at this at the end of the show last time. Speaking of fun. We're, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Because I remember in the offseason when I first told you that I was 
very bullish on Missouri, and you were pleasantly surprised. And one of my, uh, one of the facts that I cited was that I felt like the SEC was going to have a down year because the SEC and the East in particular were starting over at quarterback Mm -hmm. when Missouri was not. We've watched, technically Vanderbilt's got four games, but we've watched three weeks of SEC football, and it's kind of a mishmash of mediocre. So, BK, are we in a spot where we are thinking that Mizzou might make a serious run at the SEC East in its last year of existence? Why not? Like, honestly, honestly, why not? Now, let's set Georgia aside for a second because they're a separate conversation from anything that I am about to say. We can get there, but let's set them aside for just a moment, right? Let's let's put them in category A. We're talking about category B. In category C, we have Vanderbilt. Everybody else is in this, like, muddled up middle of the nobody really knows what to make of them teams in the SEC East. So I'm talking about Florida, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Those are the four teams, along with Mizzou, that I want to discuss here. I don't know how good any of these teams are, man. The game that is convincing everybody that Florida is good again was the game against Tennessee. And I don't think Tennessee is particularly good. They played against Utah with Utah's backup quarterback in the game and looked terrible. I mean, terrible. And then I have watched Utah since and have not been particularly impressed with Utah. They've been fine. All right. Yeah. Fine. They struggled against a down Baylor team last week. They beat something called a Weber State. <laughs> They're always better towards the end of the year, though. Like, that's a Utah thing. And Cam Rising might be back this week, so they're yeah. going to be better just by virtue of having one of the better quarterbacks in college football back. But that does not excuse what we saw from them against Florida. Yeah. So they lose that game. They have a game that doesn't matter. And then they beat Tennessee and everybody's like, oh, Florida, they're back. Look at the Gators. They're going to play Charlotte this week. They're going to beat the hell out of them. And we're going to learn nothing from that game either. And then they're going to play Kentucky. And maybe they win that game. And guess what? That won't tell me much either because I also don't know if Kentucky's any good because they sleepwalk through the first half of every game they've played so far. Mm -hmm. Devin Leary, I think, is a really good college quarterback. Their wide receivers, I think, are really good. Their running back, I think, is pretty good. I don't know about their offensive line. I think it's pretty bad. Their defense (laughs) should be pretty good. We haven't seen them play anybody yet, though, so I don't really know. So... I don't really know what to make of Kentucky yet. The same way is uh, true for South Carolina. Yeah, they played well this past week against Georgia. For a half. They scored 14 points, and they ended up losing by double digits. They lost by double digits against a North Carolina team that's kind of been mediocre since then. And then we've got Tennessee, who they have a quarterback who can't hit the broadside of a barn, man. He's super talented, and if he's hitting on his deep balls, like, good luck. He could beat anybody on any day. But he misses more often than not. Dude, this this division stinks. It is just not good. Yeah. And so as I watch Missouri and I'm watching these other teams around them, I'm sitting here saying to myself, like, I think Missouri's defense is every bit as good as any of these others that we're watching. I think Missouri's quarterback, and people will laugh at this maybe, but I think he's every bit as good as any of these other quarterbacks that I'm seeing in the SEC East. Luther Bird is the best player in the SEC East that I've watched play football so far this year. Yep. Why not? I'm with you. 
I'm with you. Joe Milton can, you know, throw it a mile, but he can't pitch at three yards. You know, he can't hit he can't hit timing routes. He can't I don't know. And also Tennessee's receivers, I don't think, are all that great either. There is quite a bit of a drop off from what they had last year uh to this year. You know, South Carolina. North North Carolina's defense. North Carolina's defense looked unstoppable in that first week. North North Carolina's defense is never good. Okay, so like that that is that is damning to South Carolina. And yeah, they hung with Georgia for a half and then did did nothing. Did nothing. I just here's here's something I cannot believe I'm going to say. I think the real threat to the East again, not from the Georgia bucket, from the everybody yeah. else bucket. The real threat is Florida. And the reason why Florida is the real threat is because they are regardless of the guys they have they are just scheming the hell out of it. They are playing to type. They are Wisconsin South because they took Wisconsin's quarterback, Graham Mertz, and said, well, we got two really good running backs and some beefy offensive linemen. We're just going to over and over and over. And ETN's good. Like, really He's good. He's very good. He's very good. And that deep, the Florida defense is pretty good, too. So they're just going to they're gonna play man ball. They're going to play Wisconsin ball. And they're just going to run you over. And it's not going to work against a talented team like Utah, even with their backup quarterback. But it is going to win you some games. Missouri's done this before. I was about to say, this sounds like a very familiar cat yeah. or, uh, way to go about things. It's it, shrink the game, go off of the ground, and then just see what happens. And it's working. It's working against teams who don't have identity, don't have good scheme or tactics. And that's what they've been going up against. So I would like to think that Missouri can, can prepare for uh, an attack like that. And then you hope that Joe Melton has a, a normal kind of inaccurate day. He's going to get a couple of bombs, but he's going to miss a bunch. Spencer Rattler, I still think, is not any good, despite the five shiny stars next to his name. I just – and Kentucky is just this – yeah, their, their OC almost died two weeks ago, and now he's like – he's going to just work like normal? Like, okay. I, I don't know what's going on there, but it's it's a mess. It starts with the quarterbacks – and kind of every other position group, you know, every team's got at least one stinky group on offense and defense is whatever. So, like, I don't know. I, I think Missouri has enough continuity, enough proven factors, and apparently an ability to mix up the scheme every once in a while. I just – I feel more – I feel more and more confident in that as the weeks go on, which scares the hell out of me. But, like, yeah, like I said a month ago, why not now? This Conditions are perfect. Conditions are perfect. They are, and as I look at SP+, Plus, which, as you know, made better than anybody, and for those that are new to the listening audience, SP+, Plus is the metric that Bill Cottley uses over at ESPN.com, previously with SB Nation, previously the overlord of Rock M Nation. He's fantastic, and he does great work, and his statistics are awesome. So he uses SP+, Plus. that's what we're going to use here. Um, and by those rankings, he goes through, and he has every team ranked in all of college football, and then he puts a little number system next to them on what the basically power ranking would be in terms of a numerical data. The teams in the SEC East that he has ranked, and this is where they are in all of college football, right? Georgia's still at number two. The next team in the SEC East that he has ranked right now is Tennessee at 18. Kentucky at 24, Florida at 30, Missouri at 37, and South Carolina at 40. Everybody's kind of in that 18 to 40 range. And Nate, this is one of the things that I talk about a lot when it comes to the top 25. If you're arguing about a team from like 20 to 40, 
they're probably pretty interchangeable. Like whether you want to rank them in the top 25 or you want them just on the outside others receiving votes. I don't really care who you have in there. Like this week, I know a lot of Mizzou fans were mad that Mizzou wasn't a part of the top 25. It's fine. Whatever. Like, I, they're the same as a lot of those teams that are at the back half of the top 25, right? And I feel that way about this SEC East as well. Once we stop with the preseason data, I will be very curious to see where Missouri ranks if you exclusively used the numbers from this season. Mm-hmm. Coming out in the next couple of weeks, we'll start to see that. And I think Mizzou will start to rise up these rankings. And I think some of these other teams, Tennessee, Florida, for example, will start to fall down them a little bit more. I mean, you remember how bad Missouri's offense was last year. Yep. We all watched it. We watched the And that's baked thing. into this. Yeah, it's baked in right now. So you see what Missouri's offense is now. You saw what it was then. Let's walk through the progression of how this got. So you know last year's. Finished at like uh, 70, 72nd. So they come into this year 52nd. Okay. After the South Dakota name game, they go to 55th. Okay, that's fair. Then the offense goes to 64th after the Middle Tennessee game, which, okay, fair. Then this week is 56th. So you are seeing as we move away from the crumminess. <laughs> As we move away uh, from, like, the South Dakota, we move away from everything from last year. It has a giant jump in just a single game when they were actually, apparently, actually trying hard. (laughs) So, one game can do that in a sample set of three plus what you have baked in from last year. I I don't think it's going to be a massive jump like the second we get into all the 2022 ripped out. I don't think it's going to be huge. But you string together a couple games like that, I think you could see a meteoric rise on on offense, let alone what they're doing on defense. And they're already a top 20 unit. And they're not even cracked their havoc potential at this point. So I think sky's the limit. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Kentucky is ranked 24th in this metric in terms of overall SP+. They are 57th offensively. Missouri is 56th offensively. Kentucky is 6th defensively. Missouri is 19th defensively. The gap between those two teams is not significant on offense or defense right now, at least based on these current rankings. The place where the gap is significant, and this is basically the difference between the two teams currently, is on special teams. And that is like just... Listen, man, this is not me suggesting the special teams do not matter. They absolutely do. And for a while now, it has been a problem for Missouri. They weren't on Saturday, thank God, because if they were, they would have lost that football game. But Kentucky ranks third in the country in special teams rankings so far this year. Missouri is 107. There is your biggest difference between the two teams. Now, Kentucky also has a really good defense. This takes into account preseason projections and everything. And I, I think Missouri is eventually going to be very close to them. But... Mm-hmm. That, that tells you everything you need to know. And that's the gap between the 24th team right now in the country and the 37th team in the country. That's basically the SEC's outside mm-hmm. of Georgia. So, yeah. yeah, Missouri can absolutely be the second best team in the SEC East this year. And then it really comes down to, does Georgia fall up somewhere? And can Missouri on one day beat Georgia? That's it. Yeah. That's all it comes down to. That's, that's what happened in 2014, dude. This It, it feels very 2014-ish. This team is not what the 2013 Tigers were. That team was excellent, excellent, and deserved to win the SEC East. 2014 needed a lot of breaks. And I think that's what we're looking at right now is Missouri's a good enough team to take advantage of those breaks. 
But if they get some, that's how you end up having a special season that we all remember. It's a shame that the East is stinky bad because, yeah, you do need Georgia to slip up a couple times. Um, just to play this the schedule game, Georgia this week goes against <laughs> UAB. Oh, my God. But then they go to Auburn, which is just weird stuff happens at Auburn. Ask a Missouri fan. Ask an Alabama fan. Uh, Kentucky at home at Vanderbilt, then they're off. Then you got the cocktail party against Florida. Turn around, you host Missouri. Turn around, you host Ole Miss. Maybe there's your your slip up right there. That's the one. Yeah, because then you go to Tennessee and then at <laughs> Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, if they're gonna slip up, it's probably gonna be that game against Mississippi. I, it's too bad that's not on the road. That would have been really helpful for Mizzou. Not that it's like this crazy imposing place to play, but it's just really hard to win in Athens. Um, them having Florida, Mizzou, and Ole Miss back to back to back. Also, potentially, I think one of those you would think one of those potentially doesn't go their way because this Georgia team is not it, it's not unbeatable, and, and that's no. the difference between this team and what they've been in previous seasons. Um, the other thing that could happen is maybe they lose to let's say Ole Miss, they lose in the SEC championship game, and now potentially a one-loss Mizzou team in this scenario ends up getting a better bowl game as a result. Um, mm-hmm. You you could see something like that, kind of similar to the Kansas thing where. In 07, Missouri lost in the Big 12 championship, and then the BTS Bowl goes to KU over Mizzou that year. Yeah. Who knows, man? It's week three. Yeah. It's week three. But it allows you to dream. This is is what beating Kansas State does. Exactly. When you win games, you can keep your lofty dreams. It's just what a novel concept this is, something that we have not been able to enjoy for a while. So So we can talk about it. Please make me feel good about this week, Nate. Please, please make me feel good. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, Brady Cook is injured. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> look 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 before anybody freaks out it's brady cook he played with no shoulder for an entire season and is that now important saying, for a quarterback seems important now you're going to tell me that a a bone bruise is going to stop him from playing in front of st louis give me a that dude is going to play. He was at practice today. We saw pictures. I don't know how much he moved around. I don't care. I guarantee you he starts. I guarantee you you he plays. I don't know if he's going to finish, but he's going to play, so I think we're going to be okay. Um, at least from that, I also don't know if he's going to be any good, but, you know. Um, so let's talk about Memphis. Who, who are these bad guy Tigers? Well, they haven't played anybody, which is the greatest thing you can say in college football. Saying, ah, you ain't played nobody, which is fine. And and it's it is relatively true because Bethune Cookman, Arkansas State, Navy are not um, world beaters. But here's the thing. Memphis took care of business against two of those three. And it does say something if you can put away an opponent quickly, you just bury him and move on. Navy was weird because Navy is always weird. Missouri fans know that playing Navy or just a triple option team is weird. We don't need to talk about the 2009 bowl game at all. Not at all. Why did you bring it up? But still, the point stands. Memphis is really good on defense at eliminating like efficiency stuff. They play up. They press the corners. They send blitzes to stop your running game. They try and hit you in the backfield. They don't give you anything in the middle. No slants. No easy draws. No outside zone. They don't give you any of that. On the flip side, you want to go over the top? Yeah, you you, you got it. You can do that because they're so close to the line. If you try to run on them, not good. If you try and make big moves on standard downs, which is first and 10, second and five, stuff like that, not a good idea. 
if you want to rip off a big run, boy, they'll give that up, especially to a quarterback. If you want to go over the top like Luther Byrne likes to do, they'll give you that. Uh, but you're not going to get anything easy in the middle. And then on the flip side, this offense with Seth Hannigan, their quarterback, excellent quarterback, super accurate. They use the pass like the run. They do little three, four-yard slant screens. They're super accurate. No explosive plays through the air. Just dink and dunk, dink and dunk. And then they hand it off to this guy. What's his name? Blake uh, Blake Watson, who was just a rocket ship. And, like, he will either explode on the platform for a loss of three or go for 30 and go off to the moon. So, oh, you mean every Memphis running back for the last 15 years? Is oh, that what yeah, you're describing? pretty much. Pretty <laughs> Darryl much. Daryl Henderson. Yeah. Uh, who's the other one that they've had? The guy that's playing in Washington now. They, they've had some good ones up there, man. They always seem to have a good running back. And the last time Missouri played Memphis, they were without their running back. So that was kind of an obscure one. But they they are dangerous. Well went there. My God. They have so always have good ones. It is it is an offense that is going to bore you to death and then hit you with a big one on the ground, and it's a defense that gives you nothing except for big bombs over the top. We have seen that Missouri can do that with Brady Cook, with Luther Burden, with Theo Weiss, with Marquise Johnson. We've seen that. We have seen Nathaniel Pete be able to, again, get blown up in the backfield or go for 20 because he can find that hole and hit it. So I don't know – how this is going to go, it's going to be a great test for the defense. It's going to be a really good test for the offense, especially if Brady is injured. But um, Memphis has not played a team like Missouri, and I'm going to rest my laurels on that because the best team they've seen so far is Navy, and it was a squeaker. This is both good and bad for Missouri um, in terms of just like the scouting side of things, right? The good is Eli Drinkwitz should be able to motivate his players pretty easily about a team like Missouri or Memphis, where you say to yourself, hey, this team's 3-0, man. They have a real chance to be able to win their conference this year. Like, they're super talented, and they they have a specific way that they play, and they're really good at it. In that way, like, they're not so different from K-State in terms of just having a very clear, coherent identity, and they stick to it. The hard part is... Dude, they've played three teams where you're like, I don't really know what they're going to be when they play against Missouri. I I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of the quality of what Memphis is. Right now, all of their advanced numbers look awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's been built on the backs of playing against less than stellar opposition. Yeah. So, on one hand, I'm super nervous about this game, dude. Yeah. Like, if I was betting it at the beginning of the week, this line was seven. I think it's gone down in some places all the way to, like, five and a half. Oh boy. Um, I, I would have taken I, I would have taken Memphis plus the seven. Mm-hmm. One score game feels right to me in this one. Kind of similar to last week where I didn't know who was going to win, but I was pretty sure it was going to be a one score game. I feel more confident. It's every Missouri game, too. Uh, I know. <laughs> I feel more confident this time around that Missouri is going to be on the winning side of things, okay. but I do think it is going to be another one-score game. Yeah, absolutely. Missouri cannot not play in a one-score game. That's just how they do it. But the difference is this year they're winning them. It's because you got a good quarterback and you got a good kicker. Well, sometimes you have a good kicker. Yeah. At least on Saturday you did. It is funny how much that fixes, right? It's kind of like uh, when your baseball team, hey, you got a good bull- bullpen, suddenly you become a really good one-run team. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Bud Elliott. I think he's, he's the one that said it. it's like good coach, good coaching decisions, great quarterback, elite special teams. That's how you win 
close games. And that's how Eli Drinkwitz did in his first year in Missouri. You're like, yeah, you made good choices. You were aggressive. You had Harrison Beavis in his prime. I just, the thing that, that struck that struck me is that as good as Seth Hannigan is, and he's good, he's thrown three interceptions in three games. And two of those went to Bethune-Cookman, which, no disrespect to Bethune-Cookman, but Power 5 team shouldn't, or uh, yeah, uh, FBS team should not be throwing picks like that. He is super accurate, but I think when you watch him, there's a lot of repetition, kind of goes to their identity, like we we do what we do, right? So eventually some secondaries can start picking up on that. Now, do they want to pull a K-State Missouri and flip the script and do something completely different here? Maybe. I will also say I think a good chunk of Missouri's players are going to be motivated to win in front of basically their entire friends and family group. Now, sometimes that might lead to a little too much of emotion, but I don't think there's a lack of motivation. I think any team that comes in undefeated should have your full attention, no matter who you played. And now you're Missouri. And all of a sudden, the East looks wide open. Take care of business, man. Take care of business. And if you can't do it here, then, you know, you don't deserve it. But I I think I'm with you. I feel like they can win. They should win. I don't think it's going to be comfortable, though. Just another one of those Tom special one one possession games. Pass fail. Pass Pass fail. fail. (laughs) 3-2. Your pass fail games that remain on this schedule are Memphis, LSU, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and Arkansas. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if you kept count, there is one game that is not a pass-fail the rest of the way. It is Vanderbilt. You gotta win that one pretty handily. The other ones, though, dude, like, in all seriousness, that's what this game, this season has become. It's a series of flip games. It's 50-50 propositions. Maybe you believe it's 60-40 in one way or the other, but the majority of these games are like, hey, you're going against a pure program. This is a team that is pretty similar to you, at least based on what the projections are so far. So go out there and uh, they call these um, challenge trades in Major League Baseball where like one team will send one player to another team, sending one player back. And it's just saying as a general manager, like, hey, I believe I'm better with my evaluation than you are at yours. That's basically what this is. Hey, we're a program that believes that we are better than you, and we're going to go out there and show it to you on Saturday. Missouri has to do that against Memphis, and then they got to continue doing it against four of their last seven, five of their last seven games. If you do that, feel pretty good about it. Not an easy proposition, but that's what's at stake, man. That's what you got to do. That's welcome to college football. Every game, the next game is always the most important one, except for Vandy. Man, I am so I know this is off tent. I am so disappointed in Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I am like too. I I thought they, they were should be, be feisty by yeah. now, and they're just not. And defense is okay, but just I don't know. I'm I was going to go the opposite way. I was going to say their offense is a little better this year. I mean, I guess I just they gave up forty to UNL to Barry Odom, the fighting Barry Odom. <laughs> they 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 locked down Hawaii until they didn't. You know, like it's just like they forgot to show up. I I don't. I don't get that at all. And yeah, Barry Odom beating Vanderbilt. What a what a fun thing for him. I'm so glad he could do that. I'm just ignoring that he did it three times in his four years. I'm just being salty about the last one. That's all. Just the worst loss in Missouri history. That's all. Um, God. Barry. I do miss him every once in a while. But 
Anyway, yeah, we've got one hell of a defensive coordinator now. So I don't, I don't want him back. I, I like our guy. I like our guy. And man, he's going to be getting some head coaching. Looks I was about to say, Blake Baker better chill just a little bit. Like, don't get too excited. Right give now. up, give up fifty to Memphis. You know that'll that'll <laughs> put some ice water on those coaching rumors, man. Like, jeez. Anyway, okay, we're not going to do score. We we already said it's going to be one possession, and we feel like Missouri's going to win. We can just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, Lou, what's your uh, feel for like? How do you think this game is played out? Forget, forget the score. Is this one of those high-scoring games, finally? What, what, do you, I don't, what do you anticipate? I don't because I, I don't know what Brady Cook's going to look like. And there's there's part of me that is wondering if we turtle back up and Cody, Nathaniel, just handoff, handoff, handoff. And screens. Screens. Out. And, like, if you take a deep shot, it's been set up, and he's way, like, four, yeah. four or five yards back to, to start. Like, I just – you don't – where I don't think we're going to have a comfortable Brady Cook because he's not going to be able to scramble like he usually can. And so I think that throws everything off, and I think it's going to be a wonky, discombobulated sort of game back and forth. I think Missouri's defense can can keep him in it. I think if they – especially if they get a couple turnovers, that should, that should hold him off. But I think it's going to be a disappointing game because we saw what the offense can be last week, and it's not going to be that this week. That's my I think point. it's going to be very middle Tennessee-ish. Like a twenty-four to twenty type yeah. of a win, and you leave it, and you're like, "Okay, pass fail." <laughs> they won. Here we uh, go. Uh, but the how reality much, is, how much same horn do we see? None. So you think Brady's going to be healthy, or he's going to stay out there the entire time, dude? If they kept him in against Kansas State with the way that he looked mid third quarter, they're not going yeah. to Sam Horn. That's um, fair. There's, they're sticking. Brady Cook is their guy. Yeah. Period. And we have seen this with Eli Drinkwitz to a fault mm-hmm. at times. He has stuck behind his guy. The one time that he didn't was with the quarterback that he eventually moved to safety. And that's it. <laughs> he, he said, Sean Robinson is okay. not my guy. And then immediately <laughs> went to Connor Bazelak. But ever since that moment, uh, he, he names a starter, he sticks with the starter, and he does not even allow for the appearance of of a controversy with that starter. So Brady Cook's their guy. He's going to play basically every snap unless he is unable to go out there because physically he is injured in one way or another. Um, But yeah, I I fully anticipate that Brady Cook will play, if not every snap, pretty damn close to it. I also think, by the way, I agree with you that they are going to try to take the air out of the football in this one. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why they'll do that is because they will look at this kind of a lot of coaches look at the schedule and like specific pieces. So mm-hmm. they probably viewed it of the first two weeks of the season. We can get these wins by showing very little. Then we've got K-State. That's a big one. Memphis and Vandy kind of treat it not to the same degree, but more similar to South Dakota, Middle Tennessee than we did with Kansas State. And then we got to get it going again against LSU. And I think one of the other reasons why you do that is because of the Brady Cook injury. Now you can hopefully take a little bit off of his plate in these next two weeks, rest him up as much as you can while playing college football, and three weeks from now, you've got an opportunity to get him at close to full strength against LSU. Yeah. So shout out to the uh, Mizzou medical staff. You've got to take care of our our, our, our baby, baby Brady Cook. Uh Whisper sweet nothings into his ear while you <clears throat> make him feel better about his bone bruise and, you know, massage that boy back to health, take good care of him, make sure he eats his Wheaties and his veggies and all that sort of stuff because we need him to 
full bore to go. Um, but yeah, I I I am not going to worry about Brady Cook versus LSU right now because I got to worry about Brady Cook versus Memphis right now. That's that's where I'm going to be. And if you want to get Sam Horn some snaps just to see what he can do in case something bad happens, I would understand that. But I understand you're also not going to do that, so it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, but yeah, that's going to be our show for today. Uh, BK, final thoughts. I know you're not going to go to the game, but uh, it's nice to have football in St. Louis again. Yeah, if you are going to the game, I really hope it does end up being a good environment. I, I am a little nervous, to be honest, about what what the atmosphere is going to be like at the Dome. If you've been to the Dome before, you probably have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. Um, it doesn't sound like the ticket sales are quite gone as they had hoped they would for a game like this. It's better than it being at Memphis, and that was the alternative. So keep yeah. that in the back of your mind as it was either at Memphis or in St. Louis. They were never going to get this game on campus at Mizzou. Um, but I'm nervous about the atmosphere. I hope that doesn't play into what is a very weird game. It almost assuredly will. And by the end of this one, just remember, pass fail. Pass fail. Get more P's and F's and you're going to be good. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. And follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt Nagy Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rock and Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Beep. 
and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.